This podcast is part of the BombPod Media Network. Hello, 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 everybody out there in podcast land. This is Karen Wickham. I am your host of STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. Coming to you from beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. This is my Halloween voice. What do you think? If you find it horribly annoying and wondering if I'm going to do this through the whole show, all I have to say is I'm not sure yet. But welcome to today's Holiday special. <laughs> I thought I'd dip my toes into a little horror. Today you will hear about a scary asylum in Australia. A horrifying human condition. A folklore that scares me that chills me to my spine and a spooktacular suture room telling of a great Halloween hospital prank. So thank you for joining me. Um, That's enough of that now, I, I think. I may float in and out of voices and it's not my fault. I mean, it's Halloween, these things happen. Okay, so just letting you know that. I want to start off today by thanking everybody who supports me on the show. Thank you, everyone. I want to give a special shout out to Christy Adams, 1969, C. Jemina, Marlahouse.com, Angry Bird Mama, for leaving me wonderful reviews on iTunes, and for those who have stopped by and given me a five-star rating. Thank you. Also, I want to give a special thanks to Emma Clayton, who is my newest Patreon supporter. Your support on Patreon is a great way for me to cover the costs of my show and help me move towards better sound quality and content in the future. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you all. So let's get started with the first story about Ararat Lunatic Asylum in Australia. Sorry guys, that's my best Australian, spooky Australian accent. Here we go. There is a hospital in Australia that sits upon a beautiful tree-lined hill. If you were transported there, like in Star Trek, which I really hope we can do one day, You'd think that you were gazing upon a beautiful and elegant Italian villa. This is the property of a famous hospital, or should I say infamous hospital, that looks more like a luxury hotel than a haunted insane asylum with a horrific history. Over a century ago, you would have been standing on Madman's Hill on the doorsteps of the Ararat Lunatic Asylum near the town of Ararat by Victoria, Australia. 
later to be known as Airedale Hospital. The only occupants left are the restless souls of former inmates that are doomed to haunt the empty corridors. It was built in 1864 to house, quote, the lunatics, imbeciles, and idiots of Victoria, Australia, end of quote. It was made of 63 different buildings. It was isolated and self-supporting with its own farm and vegetable gardens. It kept its occupants from the outside world. The patients and inmates of the asylum had terrible acts of cruelty committed upon them. Most who entered this building never left. It was common practice to perform lobotomies without anesthetic, ECT, and other experimental treatments. The mortality rate was very high. When you enter this building, every sense in your body, especially your sixth sense, will scream at you that this hospital was a very bad place. It still is, because the tortured, restless souls still roam the wards. It still has the reek of urine and feces, vomit and blood and sweat. It is dark and dank. The walls ooze the echoes of screams of torture, madness, and terror. The hallways are a maze of long, dark corridors shadowy corners and rooms that lock only one way from the outside. All it took was two signatures to have you committed to your new likely permanent home, but seven or eight to maybe one day get out. What's the price of admission? You pissed off your husband. You read a book that was considered evil. You had an affair. You were an alcoholic, a witch. Maybe you actually were mentally unwell. That shouldn't have made a difference, though, as no one should ever had to live in this place. Many who entered this hospital sane were soon driven mad. You may have been lobotomized or cruelly operated on at the whim of the doctors who were sometimes crazier than the patients. Many were driven to suicide. It's as notorious for its horrible crimes against humanity as it is now for being one of the most haunted places in Australia, if not the world. You may feel a ghostly hand stroke or touch your face or hair when you walk through the woman's wing where many young women were routinely committed for postpartum depression or other female illnesses. You just know that you are being watched probably by the wicked and demented nurse Carrie, who is said to fix her icy stare on visitors until they are compelled to leave. She doesn't want anyone to know what goes on in her ward. You heed her stare and cross a covered bridge to the men's ward. This bridge is known as the suicide walk, as it was thought to be the best and only way out of this asylum. The souls who took their lives reach out and touch you with cold, icy hands to make some sort of contact with the living as their death did not set them free. When you enter the men's ward, you will likely hear doors slam, disembodied voices whisper in your ear, and see shadow people dart from corner to corner. As you pass by the superintendent's office, you may experience a bitter taste in your mouth, terrible nausea, or a foul smell. This may be because 
This is the very last thing that the superintendent tasted because you're standing in the spot where he killed himself by ingesting prussic acid, a deadly poison often found in hospitals. The saddest ghost in this eerie building must be old Margaret, a patient who spent most of her life locked up at Ararat. She was finally able to leave in the 1990s after being institutionalized for most of her life. Sadly, she felt this horrible dungeon was the only safe place to be. It is believed that after her death, she returned to Ararat to haunt the halls. Then there is J Ward. J Ward was originally built in 1859 as a county jail for Victoria. It was designed to accommodate the growing criminal population who were attracted to the gold mines in the area. It closed 30 years later when the gold ran out. It became officially a part of the asylum and was renamed J Ward. J Ward was a horrible place. Boys as young as 12 were sent to endure the horrific conditions. A man named Bill Wallace lived there until he was 108, serving a true life sentence for his crimes. For the convicted murderers who were executed or died there, they were not entitled a Christian burial. Instead of grave markers, small marks would be scratched into the prison wall. The only real proof of their lives, however bad, that were left in this world. The lore is that bodies are buried vertically so that their souls would never rest and would haunt the building or grounds for eternity. Disembodied voices shriek in terror. Clocks tick where there are no clocks and electricity charges the air, interfering with cameras and phones and other equipment. There was a cell that housed a very disturbed patient by the name of Gary Webb. He mutilated his own body over 70 times in this cell. Those that have the balls to enter his cell may be told to get out. Some people have even reported to be bitten. Another cell has been reported to have very negative effects on people, from the feelings of nausea, terror, and even a trance-like state that stays with him until they leave the building. There is an underground kitchen where it is said to be haunted by a young boy by the name of Stuart. The most notorious area in the building is in the governor's bathroom, not because of things that he might have left in the toilet. Because it is thought to be possessed by a demonic force, at least one prisoner is rumored to have been murdered and dismembered in the bath. Ararat is considered to have been the worst lunatics asylum of the British Empire. I would love to travel one day to visit this very hospital to do some investigation. I was part of a paranormal investigation team for many years and went to many haunted locations, homes, villages, etc. I miss doing it. So now this is on my bucket list. The next thing I'd like to talk about is black-eyed kids. Out of all the scary and creepy things the imagination can conjure up, nothing scares me more than that of black-eyed children. 
also known as black-eyed kids, black-eyed people. I think it's one of the scariest urban legends out there. And the thing with urban legends is that maybe they can be true. So if you haven't heard about black-eyed children, what are they? So picture this. One night, you're cuddled up cozy on your couch, listening to your favorite podcast, reading a good book, watching Mindhunter, and there is a knock on the door. You go to the door, look through the peephole, and see a pair of teenagers dressed in black. They could be anywhere from the ages of 6 to 16. They may not be wearing shoes. They are disheveled with dirty hair, pale skin. They speak with a monotone, almost robotic voice, and they ask for help. Can you help me, please? And you think to yourself, should I help these children? Everything in you says, yes, I should help children, but there's something digging inside your brain that says, no, don't let them in. So you decide to say no. And they get very agitated all of a sudden. Their once flat robotic voices turn into agitated and angry shrills, demanding over and over that you let them in to help. But you don't. And eventually they leave. You made a really good decision. Because those that have let them in will suddenly gaze upon their black eyes and pale skin. People have reported to feel dizzy, get nosebleeds, become very sick, or that bad things can happen to them afterwards. Usually, they black out. And when they come to, the children are gone. With only a faint and terrifying memory that they were there. Oh, I don't know about you, but creepy children with black eyes just makes my skin crawl. It just goes so against what children are. Some say they are vampires, and some say they are spirits or manifestations of children that have passed. And some believe that they may be a kind of human-alien hybrid. I don't know. Are they real? Is it folklore? Maybe we'll never know. All I know is that I hope to never find out. The last thing that I'd like to talk about today is a terrifying condition called sleep paralysis. I really wasn't aware of sleep paralysis until my son described some alarming symptoms to me. He was around 12 or 13, and I kind of freaked out. He told me that he would wake up, and it could be after any amount of sleep, and he wouldn't be able to move his body, that he would just be there awake in terror. Sometimes he'd find it difficult to breathe. Sometimes he would hallucinate. He'd say that he knew he was awake, yet he would still see or think that monsters were attacking him. Well, my ER nurse brain started to blow up. I was thinking the worst. Does he have severe sleep apnea? Is he having night terrors? Does he have a serious neurological problem? And this was before Google, so I couldn't immediately run to the computer and give myself Googleitis. But I couldn't easily research it either. I made an appointment with the doctor, and I also consulted with some doctors at work. 
They all agreed that he probably had sleep paralysis and that he was going to be just fine. So let's talk about it. What is it? What's the history? It's actually pretty fascinating. Sleep paralysis is a temporary inability to move or speak that occurs when you're waking up. It's not harmful and should pass within a few seconds or minutes, but can be very frightening. Many people have sleep paralysis once or twice in their life, while others experience it a few times a month or more regularly. It affects people of all ages and is most common in teenagers and young adults. The symptoms? Well, the main symptom is being completely aware of your surroundings, but temporarily being unable to move or talk. This usually occurs, like I said, when waking up, but it could happen when falling asleep. My son is 25 now and he still has it. And he tells me that he can tell if he's going to have sleep paralysis as he's falling asleep, but he can't do anything about it. During an episode, the person may find it difficult to take deep breaths, as if your chest is being crushed or restricted. Some people are able to move their eyes, or can open their eyes, and some can't. You may have a sensation that there's something or someone in the room with you, a hallucination, let's say, a waking dream, and many people feel the presence wishes to harm them. They feel very frightened. The good thing is, is that you'll be able to move and speak as normal afterwards, although you may feel unsettled and anxious about going to sleep again. So what are the causes? Well, sleep paralysis happens when parts of rapid eye movement or REM sleep occur while you're awake. We'll call it REM sleep. REM is a stage of sleep when the brain is very active and dreams often occur. The body is unable to move apart from the eyes and muscles used for breathing, possibly to stop you from acting out in your dreams and hurting yourself. It's not clear why REM sleep can sometimes occur while you're awake, but it has been associated with not getting enough sleep, or sleep deprivation, insomnia, irregular sleep patterns, for example, because you do shift work or have jet lag, narcolepsy, which is a long-term condition that causes a person to suddenly fall asleep at inappropriate times or there is a family history of sleep paralysis, and maybe even sleeping on your back. And it can happen to anyone, whether you're healthy or not. So when to see a doctor? So if you're getting sleep paralysis all the time, or feeling anxious about going to sleep, and you're struggling to get enough sleep, or you feel like you're sleeping during the day, go see your doctor. Maybe he can give you something or offer some suggestions to be able to sleep better. So ironically, the cure to this is to get a good night's sleep or to develop some healthy sleeping patterns. Either way, I think this is one terrifying human condition. Luckily, I don't ever recall experiencing it. And I've definitely had the precursors to it in the sense that working shift work, not getting great sleep, things like that. So I'm pretty lucky that I didn't. But I feel really bad that my son had it. And he didn't tell me for a long time, so I'm thinking, oh, he's a great sleeper, he doesn't have nightmares. Meanwhile, the poor kid is in his room in terror but can't scream out for help. So, yeah, I felt pretty rotten about that, I still do. He says that sometimes he'll do his best to try to pinch himself or inflict just a little amount of pain to sort of try to get his body moving. But sometimes he just has to lie there and suffer through it. Sorry, buddy. Moving forward, I think the culture and history of sleep paralysis is pretty cool. How long has this been going on? How has the world perceived it over the years and years and years? 
So the phenomenon of sleep paralysis can be recognized in reports across different cultures throughout history. Perhaps the most famous historic example of sleep paralysis is seen in the painting by, by Henry Fusilius. It's a painting that was done in 1781 called The Nightmare. And the painting features many of the classic symptoms of sleep paralysis. The central figure is portrayed lying on her back with a demon sitting on her chest and strange looking creatures in the background. Many consider it Fusilli's greatest work and is believed to be one of the first artistic impressions of sleep paralysis. So if you want, go online and look up The Nightmare and you'll see the painting. Pretty scary stuff. The first medical documentation of it goes back to over 300 years ago as documented by Dutch physician Isbrand van Diemerbroek. I definitely didn't say that properly. Anyway, it was in 1689. Sleep paralysis played a big role in the witch trials. Many people across France, England, other parts of Europe, North America early on, thought that sleep paralysis came as a curse from a witch. And many women died as a result of being accused of being a witch and giving someone sleep paralysis. It's also associated with alien abduction. There is a theory that people who think that they have been abducted by aliens were actually suffering from sleep paralysis. Who knows? Here is some more interesting folklore. In Japan, it's known as the kanashibari, which means to tie with iron rope. They believed it to be caused by evil spirits. In Newfoundland, Canada, it is seen as the old hag phenomenon. It's a traditional interpretation of sleep paralysis where there is a hag sitting on a person's chest. The Caribbean call it kokma, that the souls of unbaptized children are strangling people. In Africa, it may be part of voodoo magic. In the, from the Inuit, it is called ukumanarinik, a hex from a shaman. And in Christianity, it is known as the devil, or thought the devil caused it. So as you can see, through history and culture, it has definitely played a role. And it's all part of the human condition. And I hope that I never experience it. And I hope that this just stops for my son and he doesn't have to go through it anymore. So how many of you guys have had sleep paralysis? Let me know. Drop me a line. Tell me your story. So now it is that time of the podcast where we entered the suture room. <laughs> but this time, we're going to tell a spooktacular story. But it's a funny one. So come on in. Have a lie down. I'll give you a treat. A trick or treat. I'll probably slip in a couple of chocolates that I brought from home. And maybe as a little joke, I'll give you a little hospital banana or apple. But you deserve better than that. So what I'm gonna do is give you a sheet to cover over your head. I'll even let you cut some eye holes in it so you can pretend to be a ghost. And we'll dim the lights so I can tell you a weird, wacky, wild true story that took place while working in the ER. This story is called the Blue Cadillac. Now I'm gonna preface the story by saying that some people might find it offensive because it involves death. Not the death of a person per se, 
Being a nurse means that, unfortunately, you're around a lot of death. You have to shut off a part of yourself for a period of time to deal with it. Not the respectful and empathetic part. It's more like protecting your heart with gown and gloves during the procedure, let's say. There is no right or wrong way to deal with death. We all do it differently, and it changes. A lot of people deal with it with humor, and this is one such case. Again, it doesn't involve a death of a person who has passed. So you've been informed just in case. There is a stretcher that we use specifically for transporting a deceased person to the morgue. It's a simple stretcher made out of metal. And over top of it is a frame that is about two feet in height. And it completely covers the stretcher like a tent, only it's rectangular. And over top of it is a waterproof canvas that fits tightly over the frame. In essence, we are covering the body so no one can see what's on the stretcher. It's a respectful way of transporting a past person in confidentiality. It also keeps people from being completely freaked out. In this one hospital that I worked at, the canvas was blue. So we called this stretcher the blue Cadillac. It's like a hospital version of a hearse. The staff I was working with that night were amazing. They're hardworking, ethical, and kind nurses with a sense of humor. So we conspired to play a joke on one particular nurse who was a real prankster. It was almost impossible to get her back after she played a prank on you. She was just too smart and too good at it. And if you could get her, you would be a hero for a day and be the talk of the ward. You'd gain her undying respect as well. She was one of those rare people that can dish it out and take it. We decided to tell her that there was someone in the blue Cadillac that needed to go to the morgue and asked if she would do it. You always go with another person. So the nurse that went with her was in on the joke. You see, one of us was lying on the stretcher under the frame and the other was helping her push the stretcher to the morgue. So off they went to the basement, down a long, dimly lit, creepy corridor to the cold room. It's a long walk. Your mind can play some tricks on you. We are convinced that the entire basement was haunted. After unlocking the door, and I just want to say that there were no other deceased people in the morgue at the time. The nurses parked the blue Cadillac in the room. And as soon as it was parked, the nurse inside the frame started to make moaning and groaning zombie-like noises. Now the trickster nurse went pale. She did not move. Her eyes were as big as saucers. The nurse inside the stretcher, the blue Cadillac, really began to ham it up, groaning and kicking their legs and thrashing their arms. Now the victim of this ruse was practically crawling up the body of the nurse that accompanied her in an attempt to run into the room. Finally, the nurse inside the blue Cadillac threw off the frame and made a loud growl. The other nurse almost fainted. The look on her face was priceless. When she realized what we had done, she called us every name in the book and tried to beat the crap out of us. Finally, she told us how proud she was of us and that she didn't think that she could ever beat this one. It only took an entire staff to take this little bugger down, <laughs> but it was epic. So that's the story of the blue Cadillac and the Halloween prank.
So thank you for joining me today. So just one more thing. I'd like to ask if you could please go to iTunes and leave me a review. I'd really appreciate it. It helps get more visibility for this podcast, move it up the ranks so more people can find it. So I'd really appreciate that. Thank you, everybody. So please have a fun, safe, and enjoyable Halloween. Make sure that you try to scare as many little children as possible. And on that note, you've been listening to Step, Shocking Traumas and Treatments, where sometimes it is the care that kills you. <laughs>